This is Give Me Some Truth, a podcast from Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. Give Me Some Truth is dedicated to providing an accessible and authentic view into the financial services industry, as well as current events and investment concepts that you can apply in your day-to-day life. You gotta leave your money behind you. Raise your hand to the sky. Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. Mitch and I are back in the booth for our third installment of the uh, What is Retirement by Generation study that uh, Transamerica did. And today we are focusing on Gen Xers and Millennials. It's good to be back. I know that some of our listeners out there have been anxiously awaiting the third installment here. We have heard some 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 feedback from people that they that they're that they're liking this. Right? Yeah, and and I don't say that sarcastically. I, I think people actually have genuinely enjoyed this little mini series. We don't always do mini series like this, but we've got some good feedback. So thank you for that. Keep it coming. I'm excited to be back and and chat about this, especially because I fall in one of these categories. I'm a millennial. As do I. I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer. So let's let's define that first of all. So as far as the study is concerned, they're defining Gen X as born between 1965 and 1978. I will not tell you where I fall in that <laughs> uh, in that span. And uh, as far as millennials go, I'm kind of right in the middle of the span because the span then is born in '79 to 2000. So I'm much bigger. Uh, I'm a late 80s kind of guy. Yeah, and it's a much bigger. Uh, generation, I guess, if you want to, if you want to define it that way. Quite, quite bigger. Yeah. 21 years. Let's see. So 65 to 78. So you're at 13 years there for Gen X, whereas we're 21 years for millennials. So not quite twice as big, but significantly larger. Yeah. And it's interesting because the, the view that the millennials have of retirement of kind of saving and, and just their their overall confidence in the the institution that is um, as some people are just referred to as the market I mean obviously there's many markets but uh, when we say that we generally all know what we're talking about you know stock and bond type investments uh, the view of Millennials is quite different than the view of, of baby boomers and we were talking about this a little bit earlier this morning a lot of people in the millennial, generation don't necessarily have trust for the markets. And I think one common and probably pretty accurate reason for that is the Great Recession, right? 2008, a lot of these millennials are are young in their careers. Maybe they're coming out of college, trying to get that first job. Markets tanked, you know, really hard to find employment. And then if they maybe saw their, their parents or, or friends' parents or aunts, uncles, whatever it might be, might have seen and, and heard some of the struggles of lost jobs and 401ks being cut in half. So we've heard all those things, and that seems to be why there's a trust factor with the millennial generation, and if, particularly if you're just looking at U.S. stock market, for example. Yeah, I think it's it's fair to say that they're, it's, not, it's not their fault um, to the extent that they've gone through some, some bad times, and they've not, they've not really seen that. Um, kind of euphoric run. You know, the, the market had that in the '90s, and then there was, you know, the, the euphoria uh, before the tech bubble, and even, you know, some in the early 2000s as well. Uh, I wouldn't call this last bull market, even though it's the longest 
uh, in history. I wouldn't call it a euphoric boom. Neither would I. Yeah. It no, just it's, a, seems like it's a plotting. steady eddy. Yeah. And compared to like historical volatility, it's been, volatility has not been there over the last few years, especially it's, it's returned in recent weeks, of course, and we've right. seen some corrections here or there, but it hasn't been nearly as volatile as, as the markets have been over time, which I think is kind of interesting. It's been steady eddy for a decade now. Yeah, so let's let's jump into this, and we'll just we'll do it the the same way that we did the first two. I think it's uh, effective here if we just kind of bump you know kind of bump around a little bit and and um, um, just kind of talk and, and discuss some of the the outcomes of the the study. So the one that I'll point to first, uh, I think we might have briefly touched on this in one of the previous podcasts, but emergency savings. So emergency savings is really kind of defined as. Um, you know, how much you have in, in cash that's not already earmarked to pay rent or to pay your house payment that month or your car payment that month or whatever it might be, just kind of extra money that you have. Um, and the, the study defines it as the levels of emergency savings are, in their words, alarmingly low. So I'll just, I'll read this because I think there's some value to this. Having emergency savings to cover unexpected major financial setbacks, such as unemployment, medical bills, home repairs, auto repairs, and other could help workers avoid dipping into their retirement savings. So that's why it came up in this study. However, workers have only $5,000 as a median in emergency savings, uh, workers in general, covering all of the the three uh, generational um, groups that they looked at, with 32% reporting having less than 5000 Emergency savings increases with age. Millennial workers have saved $2,000. Gen Xers have saved $5,000. And baby boomers have saved $10,000 uh, in emergency savings. Um, but I think the, uh, the, the, the call out there is um, just how low that is, relatively speaking. Did you say 32% was the... What was that 32% However, number? workers, workers in general, so this is all over all three generations, have only $5,000 as a median in emergency savings with 32% reporting having less than 5000 Okay. Well, it's interesting because one of the, the, the notes that I highlighted from this specifically to Generation X was a concerning 32%. Now, it's not going to be the same 32%, obviously, but... A concerning 32% of all Gen X workers have taken a loan, early withdrawal, or hardship withdrawal from their retirement accounts. So I'm thinking there's got to be a correlation there, right? It's because we don't have enough emergency savings liquid and available that when something does occur, they have to take those hardship withdrawals, right? And they have to access something somewhere, and that'll probably come from retirement accounts. And there's you know some penalties and things sometimes that are along with that. So that's a kind of an interesting number. That 32% kind of jumped off at me too. Obviously, it's not the same 32%, but a lot of people, about a third are in Gen X, are are using their retirement funds for emergencies. That's a lot. That's it's a lot. One out of three. I mean, that, that, that's a big number. And it's uh, it's concerning because, you know, kind of the priority order in which we uh, talk clients through, our prospective clients and, and clients through, uh, how to save money. I mean, the, f- the first priority, the first bucket is always, always, always emergency funds. You know, if you don't have that, you you can't justify putting money in a 401k, even if there is a match in your 401k, in our opinion. Right. And we have that conversation all the time. And I think that catches some clients off guard at times, right? Where it's like, wait a minute, I, 
you don't want me investing. You know, it's like, we're the financial advisors. We're, we're kind of investment people, right? And planning isn't just on the investment side. Now that is a, a large portion of, of what we can do. Right. But if you don't have some of the foundation in place for an emergency, let's start there. <laughs> right. And we have that conversation a fair amount. And there's some people that are, are crushing it on the investment side. They're putting a, a ton of money away, but then, Hey, if someone loses their job, do you even have three months worth of your expenses covered? Yeah. It's, it's an interesting, almost uh, negative of a 401k is you have that incentive of, of the match and a lot of 401k plans. Um, which then is the uh, the impetus for people to say, okay, well, then I'm going to do that first because otherwise I'm leaving free money on the table. Free and money, I get the free match, money, right? I get the match. Why wouldn't I do that? And you say, well, right, but you know the the likelihood, and I think we can all attest to this: the likelihood that something unexpected comes up in our life, right? Unexpected might be a home repair, it might be moving expenses, it might be. Um, an auto repair, it might be, I mean, any number of things that we can all um, recall back that uh, that we've had to pay for in the last 12 months in our lives. These are not uh, black swan events. I mean, these, these are not, you know, once every 10 year events. These are annual events, almost, uh, almost guaranteed you're gonna have something within a 12 month period of time that you didn't expect. Well, I just had a $1,200 car bill, there you go. what, three weeks ago, I think it was, I wasn't expecting that. And it always feels good because you're always you always think, well, what did I get for my twelve hundred dollars? Right, I, I got a car that ran. I can still get to work. <laughs> right, it's still my two thousand nine Honda. <laughs> not a whole lot of upgrades, or it doesn't look any better. Right, it's not. You're right, exactly. It's not like it's significantly improved. But um, all right, I'm I'm going to throw another interesting one out here, and I think that that millennials get uh, hit a lot of times with. Uh, uh, a lot of negative stereotypes. Uh, so here's one that's interesting to me. Uh, they're talking about standard of living in retirement. And the, uh, the, the key highlight here from the study says three in 10 expect a decrease in their standard of living. Almost three in 10 workers, 28% are expecting their standard of living to decrease when they retire. More baby boomers and Gen Xers, uh, both 32% expect their standard of living to decrease compared with Millennials, 22%. So that's interesting just in and of itself, right? So the, so less baby boomers, you know, uh, somewhere between one out of five, one out of four to one out of five millennials expect their living um, standard of living to decrease while pushing one out of three uh, of, of Gen Xers and, and uh, baby boomers. But here's what's really interesting. Uh, of the three generations, millennials are most optimistic. Boy, that you just stop right there. Millennials are most optimistic, right? Uh, with 31% saying that they expect their standard of living to increase when they retire, compared with just 18% of Gen Xers and 9% of baby boomers. So is the thought process there, my standard of life is going to struggle while I'm saving because I'm putting so much away that I can then increase my standard of living when I retire? Is that, you know, go through some hard times now, barely get by, but save a ton, invest a ton, and then get out and increase the same. I guess I myself even am struggling following that. Well, I think part of it is is uh, obviously how you define standard of living, right? So if you're going to say that that standard, because standard of living is is somewhat of a uh, subjective um, kind of fluid term, right? So if you're saying that's that is increasing or decreasing, I think it depends on kind of how you define it. Like what within standard of living is increasing or decreasing? Where I'm going with this is that I think it's been um, pretty well documented that millennials 
put a great value on things like freedom and free time and um you know the kind of the 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 ability to um you know if they want to um you know, go do something on their own terms, you know, they have the ability to do that. And so in that way, I, I'm, that's just, and again, that's just my own um, kind of synopsis of, of that. Uh, well, I think you can pull some stuff from the survey that would back that, right? Because part of the survey too was word associations with the word retirement. Right. And some of those word associations were freedom, right? That was one of the ones that was most common. And that's not specific to any generation. That was something that we saw across all generations. So I think there's, some things in this survey that definitely back what you're saying. Yeah. Cause you, okay. So let's just, let's hit that one more time. So one out of three millennials are expecting their standard of living to increase when they retire. Whereas just 18% of Gen Xers and 9% of baby boomers. So less than one Nine. out of 10 baby boomers think that their standard of living is going to be better in retirement. And I, I would be willing to bet that baby boomers are, are defining that as money in their checking account or money that they can spend um, you know, on, on a monthly basis of retirement, or they have the the wherewithal again by way of assets or money to be able to buy more things, do more things. It's it's not a time thing. I believe it. It's an asset slash money thing. And I'd be willing to bet if you if you pulled the millennials in the study, they would tell you that they define that as time and freedom, and not necessarily more money. Right, right. That I think I it's think just a spot on It's just a different, different view of how they see retirement. And mm-hmm. I think they value retirement as, I don't have a boss telling me what to do anymore, whereas millennials and Gen Xers define it as, will I have more money or will I have less money than what I make right now? Right, a single variable that they're looking at. Right. All right, so let's let's transition a little bit here to when people start saving for retirement. So... Millennials, and the survey described millennials as a digital do-it-yourself retirement generation. And hopefully you don't have this in front of you, Nate, but any guesses on when the typical millennial starts saving for retirement? What age? Uh, I, I don't. I'll say that on uh, uh, you know full disclosure. Uh, I'm going to say 28. 24. 24. So okay. this, this stood out to me because that yeah. says that people are very shortly after entering the workforce. So if you're 24 and let's just say you did a four-year degree, right? So you're out at 22, 23. So within those first couple of years, it sounds like they're starting to utilize some of the vehicles that are available to them, most commonly being a 401k through employer-sponsored plan. That's surprising with the, because of the amount of debt that, that a lot of millennials are, are graduating with. Right, right. Yeah. But then it comes to like, what's the, maybe what's their priority, right? And that's right, part of the discussion. Right. And there's some some talk on that too, is the priority retirement saving? Is it paying down debt? And I think millennials, saving for retirement is important. Clearly they're starting early, but it's not maybe as important as paying down debts and some other things in, in a lot of cases. So millennials, like I said, 24 is when they started saving. And that's a lot younger than most other generations. Gen X, who's described as the silently struggling 401k savers, mm. Any guesses on when they started str- uh, starting? <laughs> wow, yeah, gonna... started struggling. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. When they started saving, rather. I'm going to go with my same 28. 30. Wow. So 30 is the median. So that's a full six years, just from one generation to the next. Millennials six years earlier, and and I don't know if part of that is because the Gen X generation is one of those where 401ks. They're the first generation that 401ks yeah. really started coming right. onto the scene. Right. 
and pensions really started going away and more so even today. So we're seeing less pension, more 401k, right? So I wonder if they're kind of caught in the in the middle there. Yeah. So they started putting money towards the 401k just a little later as, you know, the 401k is maybe a little more new at that time. Yeah. Because was it like... When did the 401k first start? Mid-70s, technically, or something like that, but then yeah. gained popularity over the next decade or I so? Think it depends on how you define it, too, because there are different iterations of it, so it, it depends on kind of how you exactly define it, but yeah, probably somewhere in there, and I think that, I think you're right, it's less about when did they first um, come out, as opposed to when did they become, a, when did they become kind of commonplace and... Um, thought of as almost like a necessity that you need to, to save in a 401k. Right, yeah, right. It's a different different mindset than, than what it used to be. Oh, for sure, for sure. So another interesting thing that I, I saw right around that paragraph there is one in seven have a written retirement strategy. So this is in Gen X. One in seven, that's 14%, have a written retirement strategy. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a little notepad, right, and you write down... You know, if you're literally reading that, you write down whatever it is that you're you're trying to accomplish, right? But I think that means like, do you have some sort of plan, right? Have you been working with an advisor? Do you have a financial plan crafted probably in the form of software in 2019 at this point? But what is your plan? I think when you ask a lot of people that question, they don't necessarily have one. And that would back this one in seven, right? One in seven actually have a written retirement strategy. I found that fascinating. I don't know what your thoughts are on that are. Yeah, it's almost a little disheartening in a way because uh, it, it shows that if you flip the number right and say six out of seven, then do not have a plan. Right? I mean, is that, that that's more or less what we can derive from that? Right? That's exactly that six out of seven can't that they, they don't have a written plan. It makes you wonder um, if they know where they're going. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of equate that. I know there's a lot of a lot of analogies that could draw in between financial planning and, and uh, travel, you know, and maps and, and, and GPS and navigation and things like that. But you really do wonder, kind of, do they do they know what road they're on and do they know where they're going? You know, I mean, right. I, I know that they think that well, I'm saving so that it's so that's good, right? Because my 401k balance and my investments and my other um, my overall net worth hopefully is going up every year, right? That's positive. But I think that that's a false sense of security because, you know, the the analogy we use in the office is if you're getting in a car in, in uh, Wisconsin and you're trying to drive to Los Angeles, you know, if you're traveling southwest, that's good, right? But, and I think that's where a lot of people are. You know, they're going, well, my balance is going up. I'm traveling southwest. That's good. I'll, I'll end up in Los Angeles someday. Well, maybe, or maybe you end up in Phoenix or maybe you end up in San Francisco. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, and so right. I think that that's... That's the scary part is like, yes, generally you're heading in the right direction, but boy, you might be quite a ways off from where you actually, uh, you know, are, are destined to go. Right. And I don't know if it was back in the, the first iteration of this podcast, but we, we talked about, we probably talked about that in many podcasts. Now I think about it, right. Having some sort of a plan and when you're in where you're going, but that one in seven, man, that's not, that's not very in- encouraging. Right. And, and I think Part of the answer to that too, when we talked in the in the first podcast, is people almost are fearful of finding out where they are, and they're fearful of finding out that they're off track yeah, potentially. Absolutely. And I think there's a link there. 
There's got to be a link there because some people don't have a plan because, well, if I if I come up with a plan right. and go through the process, right. I'm going to find out I'm I'm way off. I don't want to be way off. It's the same reason why a lot of a lot of people and 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 uh, guys are very guilty of this of not going to the doctor, right? Right. Because I don't know I don't know what I know what the doctor is going to tell me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? It's this <laughs> idea of I just bury my head in the sand, then everything will be fine. But here's an interesting like kind of offshoot stat within the. Um, uh, study speaking, I would assume to exactly what you're talking about, Mitch. Almost four in ten workers use a financial, excuse me, use a professional financial advisor. Thirty-eight percent of workers who are saving and investing for retirement use a financial um, advisor to help them manage their savings and investments. Baby boomers are most likely at forty-three percent, followed by millennials at thirty-eight and Gen Xers at thirty-three. So let's look at that for just a second. So thirty-eight percent use an advisor. But how many people say they have a written financial plan? It's one, one out of seven. seven. Okay, 38% is almost four out of 10. So that is very interesting. Four out of 10 people are working with an advisor, but only one out of seven have a financial plan? Well, let, that is a whole other podcast in itself, right? There's no regulation around titles, really. Right. So like, there's a lot of, quote, financial advisors what are you your financial advisor? out there. You know there's a mean? lot of financial advisors out there, right? Some, I would argue, that title is just swapped for financial salesperson, right? And maybe you're yeah. getting sold a product, we, whatever that right, might be. There's right. lots of investment and, and insurance products and things out there, right? That doesn't mean you have a plan. It's just an interesting... I, I, I really enjoy this part of the survey because it it illustrates both kind of good and bad of what happens in our industry, I'm, I, it's great that four out of 10 people are using advisors because I think that, you know, uh, paying for professionals in your life for things that you're not good at is a smart thing to do, right? Everybody in this office, uh, do, well, you, do you still do your own taxes? Yeah. Okay. But that's quickly coming to an end because your life's getting more complicated and <laughs> that's going to, you know, right? I, I've, I've done them every year that I've had to. I'll right. put it that way. <laughs> right. And so what happens is we graduate into the, you know, needing these other professionals in our lives. And so it's great to see that. But Wow. If four out of 10 are using it, but only one out of seven know that they have a written financial plan, there's a lot of people out there that are using advisors that are not getting out of those advisors what they should be getting. So I'll, I'll get off my soapbox here in just a second. But boy, oh boy, if you're working with an advisor, you're paying an advisor and you don't have a written financial plan um, or you don't know that you do. So I, again, the, the next conversation you have with your advisor which should be show me the written financial plan that we have in place to, to guide us through this process. And if you get a blank look from the advisor, that might be a good signal that you might want to look around a little bit. Yeah. And the other interesting thing too is we talk about this in the office a fair amount, but when, and we're all advisors here, right? And there's times that we rely on one another for for opinions on things, right? Because it's going to be a little bit more objective if you ask one of these other professionals that I have sitting right next to me in the office, right? So it's like, hey, I'm looking at this certain scenario and just for example, maybe it's buying my next house or something like that. And what are your thoughts on that, right? Because the objectivity is going to be there from, in this case, my coworker, but it's a, it's another trusted professional, right? Because right. I've got the emotion attached to it. I've got the family things. Right. I've got all this other things that the emotion can get in the way sometime, right? So I even rely on other professionals that happen to be next to me in the office for advice. Yeah. And I think that that's, again, it's a dynamic of within an office and, and, um, you know, it's going to sound like a sales pitch for, for our firm. And, and I don't mean it that way. You, you, I like the idea of people working with professionals where they're in an office with other professionals. Cause I think that that is, as Mitch is alluding to, it just makes so much more sense in my opinion than 
working with somebody that's just a single person uh, or a single person with some administrative help in an office because it's so easy in this industry to get some tunnel vision and to not be able to see past your own viewpoint or your own opinions on things. And I just think it's really valuable to to work with a financial planning firm or an accounting firm or a legal firm or whatever professional you're working with um, where there's multiple professionals in that office because I just think that the ability, as, as Mitch um, alluded to, to be able to point out where somebody might be thinking about it incorrectly or just be able to lend a little different opinion on it is, is super valuable. So well, we're going to wrap it up today. Um, I hope you found value in, in the, uh, the, the three part series that Mitch and I did because um, we didn't, we didn't go into it planning that it was going to be that. And then when we realized how much substance is, is in this survey, it really uh, lent well in our opinion to, uh, to stre- stretch it over three uh, different podcasts and we'll probably do that in the future so if we if we come up with other topics that uh, seem to resonate with people or if uh, if you're listening and, and you're uh, wondering why we don't talk about a certain topic or wish we would do a podcast on a certain topic please reach out to us and ask us to to do a podcast or a uh, written blog on uh, the topic you're interested in because um, that's ultimately what we want is for the listeners to get as much as they possibly can out of it. So thanks again for your time in listening, and we will be back soon with another installment of Give Me Some Truth. Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, Mitch DeWitt, and Keith Ponywise are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not provide any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments that guests make be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.